Major Talk, everybody, for the College Football Weekend of September 9th. Scott Spritzer here with Matthew Holt, VP of Business Development, CGT Sportsbooks in Las Vegas, and Marco D'Angelo, co-founder of wagertalk.com. Mark Seidel from ESPN Las Vegas at the controls. We listen, folks. You said you missed our show from last football and basketball season, so we are back by demand. We appreciate all your interest, your emails, your tweets, etc. We're going to be here every Thursday night, late night, Friday morning with a podcast for both college football and one from the NFL throughout the course of the season. Tonight, we're going to preview and break down several college football matchups for for Saturday's uh, slate, all from a Vegas perspective, and we'll dive into Saturday's UFC 215 a little bit later in the show. If you've been listening to the show that all three of us are on in Las Vegas daily, the Las Vegas Sports Line, and you better be thinking Matt Holt has given you when it comes to UFC 215. You have cleaned up. We'll see if he can keep it going with no pressure on him now uh, throughout the course of this show. But without further ado, we kick things off going behind the counter. And with CGT's Matt Holt, a little house cleaning, if you will, here, Matt, first. Here's the two things that I know listeners to our show love. They love when we give winners, and maybe almost as much, they love hearing when the boys behind the counter at the Sportsbooks in Las Vegas take one on the chin. So before we can move ahead to this week, started out a little bit slow last Thursday with New Mexico State getting the money, although it came back a little bit up. They were still able to cover that spread. But I'm guessing you guys did pretty well on Friday night with the University of Colorado. How'd you do on those two games? How'd you do for the weekend? So we split those two games. The Mexico State, obviously a bad one. That was a really sharp play. And the problem with some of those plays in a game like New Mexico State and Arizona State is there's no public action on the other side. There's no public interest. So when you get heavy, sharp action, that ends up being your entire liability. That was the case there. And and, uh, we took it on the chin there. Although the other game was really good for us. And I still to this day can't understand the betting scenarios of that game. Uh, With Colorado State, Colorado, I ended up making a couple big plays on Colorado and the under there. I mean, Colorado State not only played the last Saturday, they were coming on a short week against their biggest rival. There were so many detriments to them, yet that line went from eight to three and a half, and it was really because of money. It wasn't information. It wasn't uh, a move on air. It was all money, and that ended up being our second biggest winner of the entire week. Worst thing about that, if you had Colorado State, two touchdowns called back because of offensive interference Mm -hmm. and a completion around the three-yard line that they completed later in the game that was also called back at all three calls. I didn't happen to see the game myself, but I'm watching the recap on ESPN later that night. All three calls were debatable. It was like scratching your head from the Pac-12 officiating crew to, to try to figure out why they would make those calls. They were that close. Yeah, you look, and this is going to be a subject that we're going to mention a lot this week on some of the college football games, and next week we'll be talking about it in the NFL. It's that overreaction from the first game played to the second game, and everybody saw Colorado State just totally blow the doors off of Oregon State. So you had everybody running with that overreaction. And what did you see? Oregon State come back, and they were life and death against, what, Portland State or something? So that it's really that it wasn't Colorado State was that good. It was Oregon should, State was that bad. You should never bad. base it off of that last game, but there was a lot of people, I was one of them, who bet them long before the Oregon State game, just thinking that that number was off, which it proved to be. As far as, you know, from a betting angle, it it ended up being a Colorado cover. But again, there were three plays inside the three that were Mm -hmm. all called back, two for touchdowns that completely changed that game. But I do know that probably most of the action you took was after people watched him against Oregon State and all the talk about Colorado slipping a little bit 
overachieving last year. Yeah, that's right. Most of the action did come after the Colorado State throb, you know, romping of Oregon State. But one of the interesting things, speaking about the calls in that game, and it also happened uh, several times in the Texas game against Maryland, right. that you're going to have to take into account in your handicapping, especially in like Tom Herman's offense. Some of those offenses, like Tom Herman built in Houston, are built around a bunch of wide receivers on one side, basically setting screens for the other. Picks. Yeah, basically picks. picks. Yep. But now all of a sudden that is a point of emphasis this year those high you know those up-tempo offenses that get rid of the ball immediately on the pick and let the receivers run are not going to be as effective as normal and you need to look out for are the referees calling it which they are I didn't think those calls were bad according to the letter of the law if we saw it in the Texas game we saw it in several other games if it's a point of emphasis and you know that's how a team runs its offense be prepared to not be happy when you get several of those in a game Matt, there were a couple games last week that we saw huge line moves during the course of the week. Just one-sided action keep coming in. One of them was Miami of Ohio. Every sharp I knew in town was on Miami of Ohio. That line went from being an underdog to them being a favorite of minus uh, two and a half, three points on the close. And then you also had NC State took a ton of money against South Carolina. And those both those games came up short. Were you getting all the sharp money there, and then you get what you see is the steam chasers follow the money afterwards. The, the interesting thing about both those games you just mentioned, which is really rare in in my in, the, in this our entire industry, is that those were both double moves. So in the Miami Ohio game, uh, you know Marshall opens minus one, it goes to Miami Ohio favored with sharp money. Then the public comes back on uh, Marshall. All of a sudden they go all the way up to minus three. Then. Friday, the Sharps come back heavy on Miami, Ohio, and that goes all the way back to three. And same thing on South Carolina. We take a bunch of sharp action on NC State. That line goes all the way to seven. We take a bunch of sharp and public action on South Carolina. Goes as low as four and a half, all the way back up to six and a half, seven on game day. So it was this weird double move in both those games. Huge move, Notre Dame over Temple. That line just went up, up, up. Did you ever get any buyback at all on Temple Owls? And then, of course, Notre Dame goes on to the easy win and cover and did that cost you a little bit behind the counter if you had any liability on that and give us like maybe one or two others that maybe folks would you know maybe fly under the radar that you guys got hit a little bit on last week our two biggest under the radar games were oklahoma versus utep who would thought people would lay the 44 and a half or whatever it was we took a six-figure bet a 50k bet and no money on utep and that ended up costing us 200 grand wow. on that one game and then to like he said the notre dame game we were taking we did take a little Temple money, um, but it was almost all Notre Dame. And it's amazing. You know, you never think, oh, 44 and a half, that's safe. And then, of course, our second biggest loser of the week, not surprising, was Alabama sure. getting the win and the cover there against Florida State. Well, week two is upon us, full slate this weekend. And I got to ask you about this one, one of the most talked about football games last week all over the country. Of course, Howard's outright win over UNLV as a 45-point underdog. And the reason I bring it up at this point is because betters haven't exactly shied away, or at least early, earlier in the week didn't shy away from UNLV. After the line opened, Idaho about a nine-point favorite. I saw, I think, at your book, it's CGT had opened nine, other places nine, eight and a half, and then dropped to six, six and a half. It's kind of funny because I looked, I make my lines a week in advance, so my lines for this Sorry. week were made before they lost to Howard. As it looked like they were going to lose that game to Howard, I went in, let me see what I made that number. Matt, I made it, I think it was three and a half was my power rating. UNLV getting three and a half from Idaho. I knew, of course, because of public perception off of Howard, it was going to be difference, or a big difference. But I had to actually plug my nose and make that play on UNLV. I got them at 
seven and a half, I think it was when we got them. But at the time, again, my power rating said three and a half. Have you taken one-sided action on Idaho and I mean on UNLV and has it been anything significant? We actually are taking two-way action, but to your point, you said you made the number three and a half. I made it one. Wow. That was an okay. eight-point uh, mm-hmm. overreaction move for us, and right away the Sharps took that into account because I don't know anyone. In fact, you're the first person who has said to me, hey, we made the number bigger than three. I've heard a lot of one-and-a-halves, twos. So, you know, you're the highest at three-and-a-half. So somewhere between one and three-and-a-half, and and then you open nine. Everyone who makes their own numbers bet UNLV right away. But what we have gotten the last couple days is public money back on Idaho State because Idaho State beat UNLV outright as a 15-point underdog last year, and now UNLV off the most monumental upset in Mm -hmm. point spread history, at least that any of us can remember. Um, so we are. I think we're going to get two-way action on this game. When I left the office today, we actually had a little less than five-figure liability, like eight grand to UNLV, and I don't think it's going to get too crazy because at this point, the Sharps can't get seven anymore. They'll probably slow down. As far as this week's card, besides that particular game on Saturday, what are some of the Sharps and squares? Where are they butting heads a little bit? Where are they agreeing, the Joes and the Pros? And, uh, you know, I know you've always got a good list of a good six or seven pl- games where we just see absolute butting of the heads right out of the blocks, weeks one and weeks two. What are we looking at for this particular week? Let's start with TCU-Arkansas. There is sharp action on both sides of this game. A little bit more public action on Arkansas, but there has been some heavy sharp action on TCU. Look, I made this game a pick in the power ratings, uh, and, what, and what we've seen is that some of these sharps really liked TCU in the preseason, bet him to win the Big 12, bet him to win the national title at massive odds, and bet him season win totals over. Not surprisingly, those same Sharps are coming back and betting TCU here in this game. But there's a lot of Sharps that like Arkansas in this spot, a veteran quarterback. I think that's going to be kind of a big, I don't want to say pros versus Joes, because they're actually Sharps on both sides, but the public really favors Arkansas. Most of the Sharps really favor TCU. That should be a good one this weekend. Really disappointing in our business because, you know, we obviously have clients that are guys who buy picks that come to wagertalk.com. And that was one of those games. And, Marco, I, I don't know exactly what day of the week, what time of day, you do your plays. But for me, I've got all my power ratings updated before the lines come out on Sunday. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to most of the offshores. You know what I'm looking at my Don best screen. I wait until Matt, Jason, the guys at CGT, I got to see CGT lines, couple other books in town. I've got to see local Southern Nevada books, especially CGT, what their lines are when they come out. And then I'll compare my power ratings. I have a power rating, which I guess you could call a neutral rating. And then one with home field advantage mixed in. And basically, I'll have at least 11 or 12 games per week that are a good two to three points off the CGT spread. And then I'll handicap those games and see if I want to stick with those games. One of those happened to be TCU-Arkansas. I really thought at pick or a dog, TCU was going to be a play for me. They moved like that. And that's the biggest problem. And I want to tell people that at Wager Talk, when you come and grab a play or buy a play at Wager Talk, if it's moved like that from a pick or a one-point dog to a three, three-and-a-half-point favorite, Unless that handicapper says from his initial, you know, time that he posted, I like this play, it's good to minus four, it's going to be taken down. You don't have to sweat that you're going to get a stale pick. If you do, you call, you call customer service. But for me, it's a situation where that's a play where maybe clients can get it right away, but you kind of got to watch what you're giving out because they change so quickly. Yeah, and those, and as you said, those offshore numbers that you get uh, early Sunday night, it's almost like in this you will remember, uh, Scott, of course, because you hosted the old Stardust line right. show. 
the offshore now is like what the stardust was way back in the day. Whenever they were the first person that brought out the number, and then you know certain people were able to bet into that before other people, and they massaged the numbers. So what you see offshore, they're very low limits at a lot of those places. That but they're letting people that are sharp bet into them. And sure. people always say, why are you letting somebody that sharp go into soft numbers? It's because they you want. Those type of people to correct your mistakes. And then you get a, a true number before you put it out to the masses. And the limits aren't just small. This is what people don't realize. It's not like half the limits you get on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a quarter of the limits. Literally, a lot of those books only take 500. Even you know when we were putting them out Saturday for the next Saturday, we would only take a dime. And then once it comes Saturday, you can get 50 dimes. So it could be 50 times less what you can get on Wednesday. And that's why that information is valuable. For 500 or a thousand at a time, show us where you're going to come later. We'll fix the number, and then we don't have to worry about you hitting us for 50 or 100 at a time. Any other games before we take a quick timeout? Any other games that were really uh, significant as far as sure. and squares? Yeah, we got a few. Utah, BYU is another one. The public here in Las Vegas tends to like BYU. Oh. We have that built-in Mormon community. BYU is sure. always a popular team. The Sharps have taken a heavy stand on Utah this week with that line going from BYU one and a half all the way to Utah two and a half, and that one looks like it's going to hit three, which would be a four and a half point move. And let you know, we remember these teams have a lot of history playing each other. So um, Utah was a team actually I thought a lot of people were down on uh, coming into the season, but they're getting a lot of love this week. Another Huge game for BYU, by the yes. way, because they played poorly against Portland State. That was a close game almost till the end. And last week, that offense just really stunk it up, although it was against LSU. Uh, another one is a game I'm on, and this is a big pros versus Joe's game. Tulane at Navy, and I'm, uh, I'm heavy on Tulane myself, and so aren't the Sharps. This one already down from 14 to 13. Um, and this is a case where Navy came out last week, waxed Florida Atlantic, and Lane Kiffin's coaching debut, and they're yeah. Getting a lot of public love, but the Sharps, and I guess I'm on with the Sharps. I won't call myself one, but, uh, you know, Willie Fritz in his second year there finally has the quarterback in Jonathan Banks that can run that option offense that he wants to run. Threw for three touchdowns last week, ran for another touchdown. And this week, what we're going to see is last year these teams played each other, and Tulane didn't have an offense right. yet. They do this year, yet the final score was only 21 to 14 because when you run a triple option offense yourself, your defense is used to seeing it every day in practice and that you know Navy gets away with sneaking up on teams with that triple option won't happen here against Tulane it was only a seven point game last year expected to be just as if not more competitive this year and the Sharps are taking note of that and they're all over Tulane anything else that uh Hit the books either with sharps and squares of green or going against each other. The, the other one was Notre Dame, uh, uh, Georgia, and I think a lot of it had to do with what you, how much you value Jacob Eason compared to the backup there. We saw the backup come in to go like 10 for 15 sure. with a touchdown in the second half against Appalachian State. Looked really strong. Of course, it's Appalachian State, who's one of the stronger you know, small conference schools. But Notre Dame getting a lot of love from the public off that blowout win mm -hmm. over Temple coming in despite the fact that Jacob Eason is out a lot of the sharps still favoring georgia in here this is a line that in the games of the year was always three or two and a half now all of a sudden was five and a half six with easton out the sharps are saying we don't care we yeah. still think georgia even with the backups just as good and they ate the sixes right away he's a young guy we're going to talk about this game coming up in the next segment we'll preview it give our predictions or whatever but the backup is a young guy but he's more mobile he can get to the corners you know as far as parallel to the line of scrimmage to make passes downfield he's tough tougher to get to uh, because he has decent feet. I'm one of those guys that thinks that they actually might be 
a little bit better in this situation, a little bit better chance to beat Notre Dame than they would have if Eason wouldn't have been injured. You never want to see a guy get injured, but I just think they're a little bit better offense in this particular game. Let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to break down a bunch of college football games for the weekend. We're also going to get Matt and Marco's thoughts on Oklahoma, Ohio State, big revenge game for the Sooners. And don't, don't stop listening until you hear Matt Holtz, UFC, 215 picks. He's got a couple of plays. Gave them to me a little bit earlier today. He's been red hot in UFC. That's also coming up later in the show. Stick around. Welcome back to Wager Talk College Football Podcast. Scott, Matt, and Marco in studio. UFC 215, the hottest fight capper in the biz in just a bit. But right now, we look at a few college football games for Saturday's card. Matt Holt, Pitt-Penn State rivalry is renewed. Penn State in revenge of last year's 42-39 loss at Pittsburgh. You guys opened Penn State this week, 19 and a half. I've seen it as high as 22. We've got a Pittsburgh boy sitting next to you. And Marco, we're going to get his thoughts in a moment. But where did you guys... Open or excuse me, where is this number currently at at CGT? And also, I've seen and heard that it's been all sharp action all week long. We took sharp action on Penn State, and we went all the way to twenty-one and a half. But I, we have started to get sharp buyback now in the Pittsburgh Panthers. And I talked to some, one of the guys who bet Pitt today, one of the sharper guys, and he said, "Look, you have to treat this game like you treat a lot of the in-state rivalries: Colorado State, Colorado, Ohio, you know, some of these other games, you know, Washington State, Washington. That these two want to beat each other every year. The games are normally close. Three-point game last year with Pitt actually winning the game. Yep. That this is just too many." points points for a rivalry game of this magnitude uh, and we're starting to see that sharp buyback my gut feeling is it's 20 and a half 21 is the closer and not like 23 or something like that Marco as I mentioned he's from Pittsburgh and we were swapping texts exchanging texts I think on Sunday night Marco when that line came out and as it slowly inched up after that opening number I'd mentioned to you what do you think about this game seems a couple of points higher it is a couple of points higher than what I made it as far as my power ratings are concerned and I'm really interested in now that a few days have gone by and we've seen that line move up even higher, what your thoughts are on this big rivalry clash? Well, what you've got here is the overreaction to last week. Pitt struggled with Youngstown State, and it was a perfect spot. I wanted to pull the trigger, but I thought that line would have come 17 is what I was hoping for, and I think it was like 14, and I didn't pull the trigger on it. Pitt was looking ahead to this week for one. Two, Pitt last week – they're breaking in a new quarterback. They had to replace one of the best running backs in James Conner. And the biggest thing they had to replace was Matt Canada, the yep. offensive coordinator that absolutely turned this program, the offense, around. Pitt was a juggernaut last year. Nobody could stop them. The problem for the Pitt Panthers were their defense was horrible. And that's strange because when you look at Pat Narduzzi, his background has been defense from everywhere he came from, the Big Ten and such. And the Offense was great. Defense was bad. Now you look this week, and all we've heard about is Penn State, this offense, how good it is because they brought back everybody. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it is a huge revenge game, even though they only lost by three points last year. They were getting blown out that entire game. They made a second-half run and got it close. And during that game and after that game, People were calling for James Franklin's head. Yeah. He wasn't going to make the season that game. And then they got real hot. They had the one bad game against Michigan and the loss to Michigan and the loss to Pitt was what kept them out of the national championship because they went on to win the big 10 championship, which should have automatically put them in the four, mm -hmm. but Ohio state bumped them, even though Ohio state lost to them. 
And so they got a chip on their shoulder with this one. But when this creeped to 21, it's just it's too it's much. A field goal too high for me at yeah. 21, and it even got higher after that. It's funny. I'm sitting there. I'm glad you brought that up about James Franklin being the hot seat because his first two years they go seven and six each year, nothing special. Um, and then last year, including the Pittsburgh loss, Penn State's two and two, and they're trailing by three to Minnesota with two seconds to go in the game. They're two seconds from going to two and three. I don't know that James Franklin makes it through the season at this point. Everybody in, well, it wasn't, I was going to say in, in, in Happy Valley, but it wasn't too happy at the time, would have been calling for his firing. They kick a field goal, a 40-yarder with two seconds to go. They go to overtime. They win that game. They never lose what, another game until they get to the bowl game. So just interesting how close James Franklin was being to being kicked out of the door. Mm-hmm. And instead, he ends up being a National Coach of the Year candidate and now is being considered a national title contender for this season. All right, let's move to the uh, SEC-ACC clash. Auburn's at Clemson, ESPN, 7 o'clock Eastern time on Saturday night. Marco Clemson opened six at CGT Books. They're currently five and a half at last check, total 54 and a half. Uh, No one held Clemson's offense in check like Auburn did last year. You remember Clemson had to fight tooth and nail to a 19-13 win. Your thoughts on Saturday's contest? Well, this is a game that a lot of people love the dog in this one, and I have to agree. Big things are expected from Auburn this year. Their defense has played uh, good the last couple years, but the offense wasn't as potent. Now they've got a quarterback, the transfer from Baylor, uh, Jarrett Stidham taking over for them, and hopes are high. And I know we had talked on a video earlier this year, uh, Matt, about the public money, not the public, the sharp money coming in on Auburn to be the darling to actually win the SEC. So not only do people think this team is live in this game, they think they're live for the SEC. Clemson, big win last week. The quarterback steps in for Deshaun Watson, plays well, looks good. But again, look at the competition. Let's see what he does this week when he faces a real defense and they're going to have a team that's going to be able to move the football as well. I like Auburn plus the points here. See how you guys look. The one thing that's going to be interesting about this game is right now Auburn is the most popular public dog of the week, and they've also taken a little sharp money, but they have the most over-the-counter bets of any underdog in college football week two. Just, it's actually really close. There's only like 20 or 22 more bets than Stanford, the second most popular underdog this week of the public. And look, I like Auburn. A lot of sharps do too, but it scares you a little bit when all the public and everyone seems to be on one side, yet this line isn't really moving yet. So it's going to be interesting. We did take a really big bet from a, a max bet from a smart player on uh, on Clemson, but this you know at this time of the week, it's just going to be interesting to see where this goes because the ticket count is about five to one in favor of Auburn, but the money's only about one point seven five to one in favor of Auburn. I'm going to be watching this one really close. We mentioned a little bit earlier in the show injury issues at quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs and Matt. Jacob Eason lost due to that ankle injury. Jake Fromm will start behind center. Eason got hurt early against App State. Uh, Fromm, he's a freshman. He looked good. Three first-half scoring drives he led the Bulldogs to. What does Eason's loss mean to the number for you guys, if anything at all? I actually did drop it a point and a half, personally. I actually thought Jacob Eason coming into the season after starting as a true freshman, normally when you have a true freshman starter at that caliber team, that's when you see the biggest jump from a true freshman to sophomore. And I thought he looked great in the first half again at Appalachian State. Yeah. I thought he was everything we had hoped he would be. Then he gets hurt. Uh, even though Fromm came in and looked good, I thought it can't be as good, right? I mean, He's not as used to the offense. The playbook can't Different be as deep. Of yeah. Too. yeah. 
Yeah. Marco, your thoughts? Yeah, and you just hit the nail on the head. A different style of quarterback. How much of that was the fact that the team they played weren't prepared for him? So it makes him look a little bit better. Sure. And he comes off the bench cold. Now, most people say, okay, well, that's a disadvantage because you didn't have the reps in practice during the week and everything, game preparation. But sometimes for a young player, the best thing is just to yank him off the bench Before cold. He knows what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's got to think about this start all week. And he's going into Notre Dame. The, you know, Notre Dame's not had a powerhouse for a while, but there is still such a mystique of when you go to that stadium and play at Notre Dame. You know, kids get up for it. He's going to be a little bit intimidated, but you've got an SEC team that's got a great defense. Georgia had one of the best defenses in the country. They're strong again this year. We'll see what happens. SEC getting points in a non-conference game. It's a little hard to pass up. My yeah. money has to go to the dog. My, my thought is Georgia or nothing in this game. And even though from it, you had all the right points when it came to a young quarterback stepping in all the right points. The thing that I think he might have an advantage in this one when he gets over the jitters yeah. is that he does, he is more mobile and he can do more things that Notre Dame might not be quite prepared for that they would have if they would have been facing Jacob Eason. Let's stick with you, Marco, to start the next one. It is the key matchup, the marquee matchup of the weekend, and that is, of course, Oklahoma at Ohio State. The Buckeyes embarrassed the Sooners left and right in Norman a season ago. Baker Mayfield wouldn't mind a little payback in the shoe this week. How concerned are you, Marco, with the way Ohio State's defensive backs struggled against Indiana's passing game for a good three quarters last week? They did, and but the difference that I'm going to point out from that game the first game of the season in Ohio State, they came in, they played a conference road game on a Thursday night. That place was absolutely nuts for Indiana. Usually powerhouses don't schedule a game on the road against yeah. you know a conference foe like that. And then you had the added situation with the coach at Ohio State that went from Indiana. The players didn't like him, and there was all the you know the talking trash before the game. And you saw it. Indiana played them so well the first half. And if you're sitting there watching it and you're looking at in-game betting, you're not going to you know you weren't going to run to the window and bet Ohio State in the second half. But they came out and made the adjustments, and that's the difference in Urban Meyer. He is such a good in-game coach that he can make the necessary adjustments and looking at that offense that he faced last week mm -hmm. with the wide receivers and the quarterbacks now I don't want to quote you know Herb Street as being gospel but he's saying that's going to be one of the best tandems of quarterback and receivers that Ohio State was going to face all year we'll see if he's right Baker Mayfield's got a pretty good uh, arsenal himself but it is going to help them in preparation for this week and you're getting Ohio State. This number, last I saw it was, you know, it was at seven and a half. Down, I saw We're seven sevens. minus 115 now. You yeah. open at seven and a half, correct? Is so right? we opened at seven and a half and immediately took sharp Oklahoma action and dropped it to seven minus 110. And then we took two bets uh, in like the 5K range from some really smart guys on Ohio State. And we went from seven minus 110 to seven minus 120. Now we're back to seven minus 115. If this would happen to go a half a point either direction, which direction do you think that would be? It's close. I, I disagree with Marco. So Marco says, wow, what a great adjustments in the second half. I didn't see those great adjustments. What I saw was three plays in the second half where Ohio State receivers caught three-yard crossing routes and Indiana defenders bumbled all over the place and guys took it to the house. I saw some really ugly play from the Indiana defense in the second half to turn little tiny passes into monster touchdowns because I saw a quarterback again in JT yeah. Barrett who can't stand in the pocket 
pocket and deliver the football down the field. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. Mm. To that point, he was 0 for 9 on passes in the air of 15 yards or more. The only quarterback in major college football last week that threw that amount of passes of 15 yards or more and didn't complete a single pass. So I'm not saying that I completely disagree with Marco, but to your point of that particular situation where it was small little dump-offs that turned into big gainers, he couldn't throw the long pass again, man. There's something going on with his vision downfield, and I don't mean that he can't pass an eye chart test. I'm just saying football vision. There's something going on with his football vision downfield. He's not recognizing where defenders are cutting or maybe goading him into doing, and he's obviously missing passes because he's not timing it up with the receivers well. That's a little scary when you start stepping up against a better defense this week, a defense that might have top 10, top five aspirations throughout the course of the season. I mean, he did have one drop. He did have that one long True. one drop. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. But other than that, yeah, you're right. He's just not accurate throwing the football down the field. Now, look, what we did get to see is how awesome these athletes are at Ohio State at the skill position, the sure. fact that they could take these three-yard passes and just run right past people. But that. Oklahoma also has those kind sure. of athletes. It's going to be interesting this week because their defense is going to be tested and their offense is going to be tested. And what we, we really didn't talk about last week is Mike Weber, their best running back, didn't even play. And how is that going to affect them going into this week? You know, we can't really have the true freshman maybe carrying the whole load again. The only thing I will say and you know, respectfully disagree, though, when was the last time? You don't have Oklahoma- to say respectfully with us. We're all buddies here. You could just lay it on <laughs> me. Uh, respect what you yeah, talking about. Yeah. You when was the last time Oklahoma really won a big game, though? Uh, be, Ohio State, they've been on the big stage time and time again, and Urban Meyer delivers. When was right. the last time that Oklahoma delivered in that? That's all I'm going to yeah, say. Well, but let's it's a different coach now. Well, let's let's see if he can I'm do just, it. I'm just playing yeah, devil's but, advocate here. It's Lincoln Riley, obviously, now. But you're absolutely right. Uh, 2000, 2001, when they beat Florida State 13-2 to or whatever. <laughs> That final score was, but anyway, uh, big one in the Pac-12, USC laying six to Stanford. Matt, this one has come down from seven. Stanford crushed Rice in its opener a couple of weeks ago. Down under, they're back in the States now, of course, while USC was involved in a nail-biter with Western Michigan. The Trojans were up 35-31 with about four and a half minutes to go and then scored 14 points to end the game and win by 18, falling short of a, what, about a four-touchdown point spread I don't know, man. I'm watching that USC defense, and I'm scratching my head thinking, are they trying to hide something and not show something that Stanford can pick up on? Is that what happened in your eyes? I got a thought when I throw it to Marco in a little bit as to what's causing USC some troubles. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I've heard some interesting things about the quarterback there, Sam Darno, and his throwing motion, how a lot of people think it can't translate to the NFL because it's too big and uh, while he did have a good season last year, that's something they've actually tried to work on this year. And anytime you change a quarterback's motion, it's, things are going to be different, sure. right? It's not what he's naturally used to doing. We, we talk about overreactions in lines, and this is one right here, where the power ratings a few weeks ago said this line should have been 9 or 10. Right. In fact, some of those game of the year odds were around 10 in USC. But USC struggles, tied 28-28 to start the fourth with Western Michigan. Uh, Stanford wins by 60, and now all of a sudden this line's less than a touchdown, still taking Stanford Cardinal action. Really interesting here. It's not many times that we all jump on favorites, but this is a case where maybe the value lies with USC. And what I was going to ask you, Marco, I'm watching that 245 defense that USC is utilizing. They just got their butts kicked. I mean, wide gapping holes that linebackers aren't filling in that 245. I hate that 
style of defense, and the Broncos just ran up and down the field on them. You better plug those holes or you're going to get beat in this game. I got to tell you, and just want to get your thoughts on that. I would think that they uh, they probably paid a little bit of attention to guys not being where they should be in that particular defense this week. Absolutely, and I'm going to go to what Matt said. You know how much of it was the fact. We're seeing the line movement is the public overreaction because Stanford just absolutely blew out Rice, now had an extra week to prepare because they were one of the ones that played that, you know, week 1A or whatever, zero week you want to call it, where there was just four games. And the what did they get out of that Rice game? And they sure. ran the score up. Now you've got Southern Cal. What team has been more hyped other than Alabama and Florida State heading into last week's game, has been Southern Cal. you got the Heisman Trophy candidate there. They had that tremendous run the end of the season once they switched quarterbacks and that mm-hmm. whole team's chemistry changed. And I just think they looked right past Western Michigan. Western Michigan, new head coach, everything else. And you got Stanford on deck. How could you be focused for that team? And they showed up thinking they just had to show up and win. I think we're getting too much line value now. From the overreaction, I'll be on Southern Cal. I play the game. And the thing is, as we know that Western Michigan is a pretty good football team. And if you're a kid in the Midwest at a Big Ten school, you're going to know not to take them lightly when P.J. Fleck was there, obviously. USC kids don't know what Western Michigan is. You know, it's it's half of the state of Michigan, (laughs) you know, in their minds. So I think you're right. There was a little bit of a look ahead past Western Michigan, but I also want to see him plug those gaps a little bit better in that 245 defense. All right, guys, good stuff. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, UFC 215, it takes place Saturday night. We'll get Matt's picks from 215, and we'll have our college football best bet. Stick around. Welcome back to Wager Talk. UFC 215 taking place on Saturday night, and uh, Matt Holt, of course, in studio with us. All of our podcasts, we do this daily show with Dave Coconut and Matt Humans in Las Vegas ESPN Radio called the Las Vegas Sports Line. And Matt's on the show every Thursday, sometimes Wednesdays also. But the point is, is that we talk UFC whenever there's a fight night card, a 215 card. Hell, I even think he hit a Bellator card a couple of weeks ago. But the bottom line is, is he's been red hot. I've been doing that show since I think it was April 1st. Matt's been giving us two cards a month since April, I think, at least two cards. And you've, I think, won all but maybe one fight out of about 12 to 14 fights since I've been doing that show. So no pressure. You're not under any pressure now. But this Saturday night in Edmonton, Alberta, we got 215 going. Demetrius Johnson, huge minus 1,100 favorite at uh, CGT over Ray Borg. I've seen as high as like 1,350 uh, on Demetrius Johnson. He says the fight, by the way, is getting lost to the shuffle because it's between Floyd Connor and, of course, Triple G Canelo and, of course, Week 1 NFL. I think he's kind of right. Is there anything that you can find in this particular fight with this big of a number that looks like maybe we should think about plucking our money down in this fight? Well, I mean, I, I couldn't really advise people to bet the main event here, to your point, at minus 1,100, the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world. But I do think the gap is smaller than, uh, you know, 1 to 11 here or plus 700. So if you wanted to bet a side in this fight, I would say make a small bet on Ray Borg. But what's really interesting to this fight from a betting perspective to me is Ray Borg has had a ton of trouble making weight at 125 pounds. And he has promised everyone, including Dana White, I will make weight no problem for this big title fight. Otherwise, Otherwise, it can't be a title fight sure. if he misses weight. My question is, yeah, I bet he, I'm pretty sure he's going to make weight too, but how hard's this weight cut going to be? I am going to be watching that weigh-in tomorrow morning with really 
close attention because the total on this fight is four and a half over minus 110 under minus 110 and if Ray Borg looks like in a, or if I hear from people that he had a really bad weight cut there there's no way he is going to be able to go five rounds with Demetrius Johnson and keep the pace that Demetrius Johnson keeps if he had one of those devastating weight yeah. cuts so I I'm going to watch that way and very carefully and I would tell people I'll tweet it out a lot of other people that follow UFC will sure. tweet it out look on Twitter just you know search for you know Ray Borg weigh in if he ended up having a, a a bad weight cut bet that total under four and a half and let me give that Twitter address out at Matthew Holt VP because you will even during fight day you'll tweet out some information that you've received from some of your guys and contacts around uh, MMA that gets you on to fights that maybe you didn't have early in the week it's been it's become one of the most valuable tools I think when it comes to to, to watching and betting on MMA is your actual Twitter account at Matthew Holt VP, you're not paying for those picks. They're right there for free on Twitter. So Matthew Holt at uh, excuse me, Matthew Holt VP is where you want to go to find out more information throughout weigh-in day and fight day uh, for every UFC card. Co-main event, better late than never. They were supposed to fight a couple of cards ago, and Amanda Nunes had some problems with her health, but she's going to be defending her title against Valentina Shevchenko. As I mentioned, a couple cards later than we thought, Matt, and she took a real big hit, Amanda Nunes, publicly speaking from pulling out of that fight. Now she comes back in this fight to fight uh, Shevchenko. Amanda Nunes really dominated at least the first round and a half of those first two rounds of that fight. She lost round three, and legitimately, but a lot of people thought that if that fight would have gone five rounds, if it was scheduled for five rounds, Shevchenko would have caught her and overcome her. Do you agree with that as we head into this fight? I completely disagree with that uh, thought. And I got into a lot of arguments with people. And I had a big, big bet on Amanda Nunez when it was mm -hmm. scheduled a couple months ago here. And, and the thought process is a fighter knows when they train for a three-round fight, if you win rounds one and two, it's over. You just have to not get knocked out at that point. And Amanda Nunez didn't just win round one. She almost stopped her yeah. in round one. And then I thought easily won round two as well. At that point, it's a fighter mentality you know you go all out in a three-round fight because it's only a three-round sure. fight I'm sure Amanda Nunez will prepare for a five-round fight the assumption that just because she faded one time in a three-round fight after dominating uh, Shevchenko doesn't mean she'll ne necessarily fade here in a five-round fight what I also like uh, is inherent value we talk about it all the time you, and, and maybe you're going to get to this point but let me just jump in real quickly here Amanda Nunes is like plus a dollar five right now for this fight. She closed as a favorite. What was she? Dollar twenty five. Dollar thirty. In that fight, is this all based on perception by the public of thinking that you know they basically jumped off the Amanda Nunes bus? Because of how she pulled out? We see it in sports all the time, but but we see it more in these combat sports. We saw with Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather. People didn't like Floyd Mayweather. They wanted Conor McGregor to win. They bet Conor McGregor. In this case, people are mad. There's some level of disdain for Amanda Nunes here because she pulled out of the fight. Not right. just because she pulled out. She pulled out on fight night. Right. People had tickets. They were at the arena. All of a sudden, day of fight, she pulled out. And suddenly, just because they don't like her, she went from a minus 130 favorite to a plus 105 underdog, nothing's changed in two months. Same two fighters, everything's yep. the same. They haven't fought in between. That's inherent value. Same matchup a little bit later with nothing changed with a better number. So I got to ask you this because obviously Dana couldn't have been happy, even though she probably legitimately should have pulled out of that fight when she did. You don't want to go into a fight less than healthy, and she was battling some problems at the time. But I'm guessing 
just by watching him speak about it, that she was a bit in his doghouse. If she loses this fight, does she have a tough time getting a big fight from Dana, or does he forget about what happened last month or two months ago? So Amanda Nunes is one of the more interesting promotional fighters that we've seen in a long time. In one aspect, she doesn't meet the same Barbie doll, Ronda Rousey, uh, you know, Paige Van Zandt. Uh, you know, pretty young girl, attractive, articulate that some of the fighters they've pushed before are. And she doesn't speak good English, so she's going to have a problem. But on the flip side, she is the only openly gay fighter, man or woman, in combat sports. And in today's society, that's something you can market. There you go. She's yep. out. She's out of the closet. She's openly gay. She's ha- you know very proud to be mm-hmm. so. And that's something you could probably promote to reach an audience maybe that you otherwise wouldn't. So I think if the UFC is smart, right? rather than Dana White bashing her all the time, because she's not openly gay and and hit like a pillow. She hits like a Mack truck. She has a 93% finish rate. 13 out of 14 wins are by finish with 10 KOs for a 135-pound woman. She hits like a Mack truck. Just ask Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey, who couldn't last one minute with her. Um, You know, they would be smart to promote her, but if she loses, you're right. It's Dana White has shown a tendency to hold grudges, and... um, you know, we'll see. I think yeah. if she loses, the one thing is there's not a lot of contenders right now in that division, and it would you make it 1-1 and have a rubber yeah, exactly. match. Sure. Uh, okay, so we know you, you, the value, obviously, is on Amanda Nunes, <laughs> and in the other main event, uh, watch your Twitter feed, obviously, when it comes to how Borg is going to do at the weigh-in or how he's going to look at the weigh-in. So give us a couple of fights that Matt Holt's money will be on where you're going to back with your money on this particular card and maybe your top underdog if you have one for us. Sure. Staying on the main card here, uh, I took Neil Magny at plus 170 over former 155-pound champion Rafael Dos Anjos. Rafael Dos Anjos won 10 out of 11 fights from 2012 to 2015, then lost two in a row, got knocked out by Eddie Alvarez, and more importantly, the fight after that fought a taller, longer, huge reach disadvantage against Tony Ferguson, and Tony Ferguson really chopped him up on the feet in winning that fight fairly easily. Then he moved up to welterweight, uh, you know, won against Tarek Safadin in his welterweight, weight, welterweight debut, and now he takes on another huge welterweight, six foot three, 170 pounds, Neil Magny here, who's going to present those same problems, that same, you know, huge height and length sure. disadvantages and a long striker who likes to kick. So I think Neil Magny presents a lot of challenges for a guy like Rafael Dos Anjos, and at almost two to one odds, there seems to be a lot of value there. Listen, before we wrap up UFC talk, I wanted you to promote that show you do every week with Stefan Bonner, which is about as good as it gets, but a podcast you've been doing with him for a while now every week. So interestingly enough, Stefan Bonner had something come up at the last minute, and I had to rock solo today, but I send out the link to that show on Twitter. It's on YouTube. We tweet out individual fights. I know I gave out all those fights we also talked about. I also gave out a couple of more. I have a plus 240 underdog named Rick Glenn. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's fighting a guy who's 10-0. and 0. Uh, but the, Rick Glenn here is the known commodity. The guy who's 10-0, his name is Gavin Tucker. He's only fought once in the UFC. He was against a real journeyman named Seal, Sam Cecilia, who the UFC has already since released. Um, and, and he looked okay in that fight, winning a decision. But, you know, Rick Glenn's a guy who fought in World Series of Fighting main events. While he didn't fight in UFC his whole career, he fought in major organizations. He's a big, tall, six-foot, 145-pounder, 145 and he, he 10 knockouts and 19 wins, hits like a Mack truck. I think he's going to present a lot of challenges here for uh, – 
For Gavin Tucker in at plus 240, hard to go wrong there at those lines. And at minus 115, I got him at minus 105. It's minus 115. I still love it at minus 115. Former Strike Force champion Gilbert Melendez takes on Jeremy Stevens. Somehow, Jeremy Stevens keeps ending up in these, these big fights despite the fact that he's been fighting in the UFC for 10 years. And he's 11 and 13 in the UFC, Jeremy Stevens. When he wow. steps up, he loses. And this is a must win for Gilbert Melendez. The UFC gave him a six figure deal coming over from Strike Force as their champion. He lost a split decision to Benson Henderson, lost a split decision to then champion Anthony Pettis, lost a tough close fight to Eddie Alvarez. If he loses this fight again, the, the UFC cannot continue to pay him six figures to lose fights. Eddie Alvarez, I mean, uh, Gilbert Melendez is going to come out desperate. He's the bigger fighter, better fighter here. I don't see a, a way that he loses this fight unless Jeremy Stevens lands the big punch. The problem for Jeremy Stevens, when he doesn't land the big punch, he loses. He's lost three out of his last four, starting to get older, and he's starting. Everyone knows the secret. Avoid the big right hand, and you outwork Jeremy Stevens. At this point, I think this one, you're going to get a desperate, aggressive, hungry Gilbert Melendez. He gets the job here. At about a pick of odds. Great stuff from Matt Holt. Again, check out on Twitter at Matthew Holt VP all weekend long leading up to the fights. And be sure to bet, check it out on Friday again during the weigh-ins to see if there's any good information on why we should bet the over or the under in the main event. Marco's going to rejoin us. We're going to have best bets in college football in just a minute. you got to stop betting on account. Everything Matt's talking about right now and get back to work, Marco. <laughs> We're going to take a quick timeout when we come back. College football best bets. Uh, welcome back to Wager Talk, college football best bets for week two on the College Gridiron. We're going to start with Marco D'Angelo. You can follow Marco at Marco in Vegas. Of course, he's one of the co-founders of wagertalk.com. Before we get to your best bet, tell us a little bit about what's going on at Wager Talk. I know you shot a lot of videos uh, this week for this week's college and pro football card. Yeah, there's eight videos up uh, covering all the games on the weekend, and we discussed some of our different specials that we got going. Uh, two of the more popular specials we have is Mondays. We have now have Manic Monday. Each and every Monday, you can get any pick at the site for $9. We all know, and I'm sure, Matt, you can attest to it, that's the one of the biggest bet games of the week. Everybody's playing it. So normally, you should be charging more for something that's more popular. We're giving it away for $9. Check that out each Monday. And then, of course, on Tuesday, our ever-popular $2 Tuesdays, we pick one capper, somebody that's hot at the site right now, and we give away his best bet on Tuesday for just $2. It's a great way to introduce yourself to the site, try a new capper, check it out each and every Tuesday at Wager Talk. Your best bet. My best bet, I'm going to go to a game that we touched upon uh, briefly, talking about two-way action on the game, and that's the TCU-Arkansas game. I like the TCU side, and I like this game because you're looking at this TCU team that comes in here with double revenge uh, against Arkansas, but last year's loss this was one of those misleading games, and I like to look at these. And when you have a team that totally dominated yardage-wise and lost the game, uh, I want to come back and look at them the following year if they've got a good nucleus back. And they outgained Arkansas 572-403 to 403 last year in that game, but lost the game as a 10-point favorite in double overtime. I'm a fan of Kenny Hill, the Texas A&M transfer to TCU. It uh, gives them some more stability at quarterback, and the TCU defense is good. I think they shut Arkansas down here. I like them. I'm going to lay the points with TCU. 
Matt Holt, at Matthew Holt, VP on Twitter. He is the Vice President of Business Development at CGT Sportsbooks. Give us the goods. If you're in Nevada, there's nothing better than being able to sit by the pool, sit at the poker table, sit at your butt at home, barbecue in the backyard, whatever, and be able to hold a telephone, a cell phone, and bet on your games, in-game betting, everything you could want. You even put props up, right, on uh, that you can bet on on the uh, on account. So tell us a little bit about betting and the way it's done in 2017. And look, it's not only about convenience for the betters, being able to bet from your couch, from the pool, from the bar. It's also about the fact that when information breaks, you cannot get a good number if you have to drive to a book. It's about, oh my goodness, look what just happened in this game, picking up your telephone and being able to take advantage of that actionable information as it happens. Look, you have college football all Saturday, a UFC pay-per-view, week one, the NFL. The last thing you want to do is wait around in a book because you're not going to go back. You're going to go in, put your bets in once, and and if they lose, you're done. You're not going to go back. Sure. Th- take the five minutes, sign up for an account, make a deposit, bet the games where you watch the games from the convenience of your mobile uh, from your mobile phone. That's how people bet in 2017. It's funny. I tell people when they come to town all the time, what's the best sports book to go to? You know, where can I make my bet? And I go, why don't you just get a phone account? That way, you can come into town. It takes five minutes, as you said, to set it up. And at the end of the weekend, if you're plus money, you go collect. Probably takes five or ten minutes to shut it down, and you go back to whatever state you're from. So you don't have to live here to have it. You have to be here to use it, but you don't have to live here to have it. If you come in for a weekend, you can have it for that weekend. It takes no longer to withdraw because you don't have to shut down your account. You just have to withdraw money out. So just withdraw all the money out. It's the same exact time it takes you to go give your ticket to the cashier to tell her you want to take money out of your account. That's pretty cool. Your college football best bet. I'm going to go with kind of a homer pick here for me, uh, being from the Northeast. I'm going with the Boston College Eagles as a pick here. I made this line minus three, and all of a sudden, there's a, a lot of public money coming in on Wake Forest. Look, Boston College ended last year on a big run, including beating Wake Forest to be able to go to a bowl game. On the flip side, Wake Forest ended the year last year by losing four of their last five games. Boston College, this is a team that brings back a lot of starters this year, mm-hmm. including a lot of starters on a defense that was ranked in the top five in the country last year and looked to the part again this year in the opener. They went on the road in their opener against an always tough Northern Illinois team, got the job done there. You know, they had recent success against Wake, including winning there last year. I have to imagine that defense is going to be fired up. And look, you're laying them out of pick here. This is Steve Adazio, one of the better teams he's had. They went to a bowl last year recuperating from that one bad year. This defense is really good. The offense is starting to come around. Don't sleep on BC. They get the job done at home here. Good stuff from Matt Holt. I am going to go. First of all, you can contact me on Twitter at Scott Wins and all my work at wagertalk.com. By the way, I wanted to mention Friday mornings, we're on ESPN National with Mike Golick. Saturday mornings, it's Darian Mel at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. Sunday mornings, it's ESPN National on NFL Sunday Countdown. I'm on at 12.35 Eastern, 9.35 a.m. Pacific. A guy that makes me sound smart, well, it's Matt Holt. Get all that sharp and square <laughs> info from Matt, and we do those shows. So we'll be relaying a lot of what's going on at CGT Sportsbooks if you tune into those shows at those times. My best bet, guys, I'm going to keep it quick because we talked about the game earlier, but I'm grabbing the points with the Georgia Bulldogs over Notre Dame. I think Fromm will overcome the nerves early on there, and I think because he presents that Notre Dame defense with a little bit more than they would have seen with their first-string quarterback at the helm, Eason, I think it's a situation where Fromm is able to work, make them work a little bit harder and create maybe a few more angles downfield 
by buying time with his feet in this particular game. Listen, Notre Dame, they took on and whipped a Temple team in major transition, including their coaching staff. A lot of players gone from last year, and they crushed them. Give them credit. They did what they were supposed to do. But I think Georgia hangs this number at the very least. Not going to be shocked if they pull the outright upset. Georgia is my best bet. Hey, we're going to be here each and every week with a college football podcast. And don't forget to check out our NFL podcast also each and every week at wagertalk.com. Thanks, Mark Seidel, for producing the show. For Matt, for Marco, put it in the win column. We'll see you next week. And I bid you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bid you good night. Good night. Good night. I'll catch you on the flip side.